Many of us know what it's like to arrive in Alaska for the first time and feel overwhelmed by the landscape, the distance, and the winters. But imagine arriving in this beautiful and often remote place without speaking the language, without a place to live or a way to provide for your family. This is the situation refugees and other new arrivals face every year, and recent conflicts in other parts of the year have brought their experience into focus as Alaskans organize to welcome them here. We're discussing refugee resources today on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by ConocoPhillips, investing in oil exploration and production and working to create economic opportunities for Alaskans. ConocoPhillips, unlocking Alaska's energy resources. Are you ready to start accelerating your child's future through education? The Alaska Native Science and Engineering Program is expanding its reach with new opportunities in Juneau and Southeast Alaska. With ANSEP's Acceleration Academy, high school students can earn college credit, save thousands of dollars in college costs, and experience fun, hands-on learning. ANSEP, it's a better way to learn. Learn more and enroll at ansep.net slash acceleration. This message sponsored by ANSEP. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. You're listening to Talk of Alaska. I'm Adeline Baxter. People who are forced to leave their homes to escape war or political conflict usually aren't able to choose where they end up. Many spend years living in refugee camps. Not everyone who arrives under those circumstances are technically refugees, and their experiences can vary widely, based on the political climate here in the U.S. as well. Recent examples include the arrival of people leaving Afghanistan over the past year and those arriving from Ukraine in recent months. We'll learn more about the factors that impact when and how individuals are resettled, as well as what the process is like once they're here. Joining me today to discuss those resources is Issa Spatrasano, Director of Catholic Social Services, Refugee Assistance and Immigration Services, or RAISE. That's the official Refugee Resettlement Office for Alaska. And we also have Anchorage resident Divine Nganga, who is an asylee from Cameroon, and Hope Cassano, who is a refugee from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, who also lives in Anchorage. Welcome and thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You can also join the conversation. What questions do you have about transitioning to life in Alaska for international arrivals? You can join our conversation by calling 1-800-478-8255 statewide. That's 1-800-478-8255. The local number is 907-550-8422 or email us talkofalaska at alaskapublic.org. All right. Let's start by having everybody introduce themselves to our listeners. Hope, do you want to start us off? Uh, As I said, my name is Hope Gasana. I was born in Congo, and uh, I didn't have a chance to live in my country, so I was forced, and uh, I found myself in the United States. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Thank you. Divine? My name is Divine Ganga. I'm born in Cameroon. Cameroon is a country in Central Africa, bounded by the west in Nigeria and the east by Congo. I, because of the political crisis going on in my country, I was forced to leave my country and I found myself in the United States, precisely Alaska. Excellent. All right. And Issa? 
Good morning, everyone. Issa Spatrasano. I'm the State Refugee Coordinator at Catholic Social Services Refugee Assistance and Immigration Services Program. And as noted, we're the only refugee resettlement program statewide, and we administer all refugee services across the state for anyone who um, qualifies under the Office of Refugee Resettlement. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, what constitutes refugee, asylee, all those different, well, maybe not all of the different categories because there are a lot, but we'll get into that. Um, first, I wanted to ask you, Issa, to just spend a little bit time of time um, explaining what the scope of your work is. So is uh, are people, you're based here in Anchorage, but are people who arrive to other communities in Alaska also working with race? Yeah, so um, in each state, there's a state refugee coordinator, and I'm lucky enough here in the state of Alaska to have that title. And what that really is, is it's a designation that occurs um, from partly the state system, but also from the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which ensures that the federal dollars that support refugee resettlement come to one central location. Here in Alaska, that's Catholic Social Services. And then we reinvest those federal dollars to provide services uh, for refugees in a variety of ways. Those ways include employment, case management, um, special set-aside programs, things like older refugees, youth mentoring, school grant. Um, and so we use those funds and we kind of look at the statewide picture. Where are people living? Where are the largest groups of people who are eligible for services? And then that really helps us determine where to invest our resources. And so while Catholic Social Services is located in Anchorage, we actually have a staff member out in the Matsu Valley because we have quite a large population of Ukrainians living in the Matsu Valley that require services. And we're always looking at different locations in the state where groups are expanding or, or resettling. For actual refugee resettlement, Cases are only ever resettled to Anchorage um, if they're a free case, that meaning they have no family tie. Now, of course, if somebody has a family tie or a connection to another part of the state, they may choose to live in that smaller community. And so there are not large numbers of people ending up in you know, Nome, right, because there's no resettlement agency to serve them in that area. So we see tend to see smaller populations around the state and some other places, and that's due to the family ties. And so mm -hmm. even the Matsu community that we're looking at, that's largely due to family ties, family members already living there who are then joining their families. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so my understanding is, um, you know, before people arrive in Alaska, you often don't have a lot of notice that that's where you're going to be. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you both about that, what that was like for you. Hope, uh, when did you find out that you were going to be going to Alaska and what was your reaction? Uh, so for me, I had a chance. I had I met my first mom, whom I love most, and the, I met her in Kenya. In Nairobi, she was working with the Doctor Without Borders. She is amazing. She helped me to survive. And so the time I was planned to come in United States, so she was living in California, and she said, oh, California is burning. And also I had a problem with burning because I was banned from my country. Uh, then she said, I'm going into Alaska. I said, it's okay. Then I, was, I had opportunity or um, like chance. She w lived in Alaska, so that's how I ended up coming to Alaska. And what was your first impression? I just can't, you know, imagine. Yeah, so I, because I... Um, she knew here and she was born here, so... Um, I was able to adapt in the environment because of them. And also I was surprised seeing Alaska, no fruits, no, it was cold. 
and uh, also seeing big oceans. And <coughs> I, I was expecting that uh, United States is a, 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 a land has no mountains. So, <laughs> and I love mountains. So I was happy seeing mountains. And but I was surprised seeing um, trees without fruits. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What time of year was it that you arrived? Uh, was 2018 September. September. Okay. Yeah, but I had a good chance also. There is a friend of my mom. Her name is Ellen. And I I was here in September 13. And September 30, she took me to uh, with my daughter to the uh, life, Wildlife uh, Conservation Center. So my first time, I saw the moose and the bear. Oh, my goodness. That's was, good. Uh, yeah. Get you exposed early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, until today, she. we always do the same thing. Wherever you are, Ellen, I love you so much. <laughs> yeah, and I love my mom and my brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And Divine, what was your experience? Like, when did you know you were coming to Alaska? Um, let me start this way. Mm-hmm. My situation is not like I plan to, it's not like I had a plan to move to the United States. Circumstances in my country pushed me, so I had no prior plans. But when that happened, I found myself in Nigeria, and uh, the only option I had was to move, to go far away from what was happening, because I was running away from fear of persecution and things like that. Fortunately, um, I was in contact with one of my friends who has been living here in Alaska for 15 years then. So um, I talked to him that, hey, bro, this is what's happening. His name is Molo Abeke. He's still currently, I hope uh, he's hearing me. So when I talked to him, he said, mm, I have an option for you. I said, what's that? Why can't you just move and come meet me over here in Alaska? I said, hey, Alaska. We used to learn about Alaska in geography while we were in school, secondary school and stuff. In my country, we have um, something they call Alaska. It's, uh, it's ice mixed with color and sugar and things like that. So we know Alaska as ice cold. Like a <laughs> snow cone, yeah. Hmm. I said, so in the United States, you live in Alaska? Do people live there? He said, yeah. <sighs> Bro, are you sure? He said, yeah. <laughs> Come, trust me. Mindset. I'm going to live in Alaska. Ice. Cold. Um, when I arrived, my port of entry was uh, Dulles, Washington, D.C. So my connecting flight was for Alaska. Someone saw me. They said, look, at where are you going to Alaska? And you are dressed like this? That was in November. Oof. He told me, go and get something because you might not get out of the plane. It's cold there. So I bought a jacket. So I arrived. Honestly, it was hard for me. It was cold. November. <laughs> so when I came out, it was cold. My about I spent about three months or so inside. I couldn't go out. So, but when we started going out, like, I started seeing things that uh, it's unbelievable. So, people live that much here? 
it's like, and people are just operating as if it's normal. People wear shorts. It's like I was still cold. For me, it's too cold. But I see people with shorts in the months of uh, April, even March. Even people, are, I'm like, this is not possible. I've been to places where we went to Alaska, we went to Whittier, we went to. I've been to many places. So it's really fun. I've seen wildlife. In my country, I do. We do have stuff like that, but no bear, no moose, and uh, but we do have other things. So, my experience has been uh, great. That's great it's to been hear. Great. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Took a little bit of adjustment, but you know, you came around. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah. Just like everybody. I mean, people come from other parts of the U.S. and they don't know what to expect. Um, well, if you're just joining us, this is Talk of Alaska. I'm Adeline Baxter, and we today we are talking about refugee resources, but also much more than that. Uh, you can also join our conversation. What questions do you have about the resettlement process in Alaska? We have uh, Isis Patrasano, Director of Catholic Social Services, Refugee Assistance and Immigration Services. We also have Divine Nganga, who is an asylee from Cameroon, and Hope Kasana, who is a refugee from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. You can join our conversation by calling 1-800-478-8255 statewide. The local number is 907-550-8422. And you can email us, talkofalaska at alaskapublic.org. So I want to spend a little bit of time um, understanding the different designations that people arrive under. Um, we often think of people who are displaced by conflict as just blanket refugees, but that's not the case, um, and it's not the case in um, for the Ukrainians, most of them who are arriving in the U.S. right now. So I know that we could spend the whole hour talking about that, but can you give us sort of the overview, Isa? Yeah, I'll try to give the shortened version, but, you know, what's, it, what's important is I don't want to take away someone's refugee designation of the experience that they've had, because that is very true, that individuals who have had to flee their countries are refugees in the refugee sense of the word, right? I'm an individual who has been forced to flee due to religious persecution or political persecution or other things, and I do not have the capacity or the ability to safely return back to my home country. But then there's the refugee sense of the word of like how we generally understand refugees. And then there's the legal immigration sense of the word here in the United States. And those are two very different distinctions. And so, you know, um, the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which it receives its funding uh, through Congress, of course, um, who, you know, was established as a result of the Refugee Act of 1980, allows us to serve very specific populations through that program. So individuals who are refugees who arrive through the U.S. Refugee Admissions Program, so really have that refugee status as a result of going through the refugee process overseas, the screening, um, and then being resettled here to the United States, we're able to serve individuals who are asylees, who have received asylum um, for, you know, very similar reasons to refugees. The process is... The, the reasons are exactly the same. The process of how you receive that status is a little different than a refugee. Refugees do it overseas. Asylees do it here within the borders of the United States. We're also able to serve foreign-born victims of human trafficking. Of course, if you're trafficked into the country against your own will from a foreign country, you shouldn't be found guilty of that and deported. You have can get a special visa for that, and then our office is able to serve those individuals. And then there's a couple other like groups that we're able to serve. And so, you know, really the two largest groups that have entered this year that we've seen a lot in the news are Afghans 
and um, Ukrainians. And, and neither of those populations are entering and receiving what we call like the legal immigration sense of the term refugee status. And the reason for that is that's a very long, lengthy program uh, to actually receive, to go through refugee screening takes on, on, on the short end, a year and a half, and on the long end, three years. And that's not counting how long you were displaced before you even started the screening process, right? And so Actually, people are arriving under what's called humanitarian parolee status. This is a special part of immigration law that Congress um, can use and the president can use to allow people in a humanitarian crisis the right to come to the United States temporarily. And so that's very different. Um, you know, that, that status is not permanent. When someone arrives as a refugee, they have the lawful ability to stay here permanently, right? And so um, for Afghans, there's a way to adjust that status to stay uh, and so we're assisting them. Our office is assisting and other law offices around the city are assisting them to get SIV, special immigrant visa status, or asylum here. And then for Ukrainians, actually, Congress has not created a pathway for them to stay permanently. It is a temporary program for them to come. Mm -hmm. Right. We'll hear more from uh, a Ukrainian who recently arrived earlier um, or earlier this summer. Uh one thing that I noticed um, and you brought up in our conversations before the show is that race typically works with about 130 new arrivals per year. Um, but given the conflicts around the world, it sounds like that number has doubled over the past year. Yeah, race has uh, definitely exceeded our normal um, arrivals for the state. And so, yeah, on average, you know, 150 would be normal for new arrivals. That includes refugees, asylum walk-ins, and other populations. And this year we are well beyond 275 enrollees. Um, we've enrolled more than 275 people, and we are not even to the end of our federal our federal fiscal year, which of course ends at the end of September. So we have three more months, and so I do expect that this well this is the largest year of new arrivals to the state of Alaska, and and that's really due to these these new conflicts that are, have been occurring in Afghanistan and Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And that trend is nationwide. That's not just an Alaska trend, right? Like I think if you were Nationwide, you're going to see that trend in other states, too. Right. And that's after there was a bit of a slowdown for the past few years due to the pandemic and possibly before that due to some, you know, political federal level policies that went into place. Yeah. I mean, we last year, um, if this is any show of the upscale, last year I enrolled 15 new arrivals. Wow. So that's a that's a very rapid growth um, in resettlement. And uh, we were we are very lucky here in the state of Alaska that we had retained our staff and our and really people who are experts on resettlement through all of those things. And so like, you know, the person who's been doing reception and placement in our office for over 20 years, really since the start of the refugee program, was still there. And that's really important to have that content knowledge um, as we ramped up and there was suddenly a much greater need for resettlement. And, you know, that growth, that rapid growth that's happened, you know, I won't just pat CSS on the back. We did not do that alone. Like the community did that. The community really did that, provided donations, provided support, volunteered many, many, many hours. There's no way I could have set up that many apartments with just the small staff we have. Mm -hmm. You know, it took people carrying the furniture. Mm -hmm. Well, what has that process been like for you since you arrived, uh, Hope and Divine? Um, you have refugee status, Hope, right? Mm -hmm. And Divine, you have asylee status. Correct. So, Hope, what is the process you arrived in 2018, right? And so what is you have five years of full-time uh, residency you have to establish before you can apply for citizenship. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what is the process in the meantime? Are you uh, you arrived, you got connected with Ray's, and then what was sort of um, the first thing you needed to do? 
I think the first need, uh, the first time I arrived here, uh, Catholic social service, they are amazing. They are amazing, and the, I, I would say 100% they're amazing. Uh, the day I, were, I arrived here, uh, they gave me money to survive. And the, the, the time I came, before I came here, and the time I met my mom, who was working with a doctor without borders in Kenya, she helped me she, because I was out of school for many years. And the, my mom said, um, do you want to go back at school? I said, yeah, I want to go back to school. Then she put me online. Uh, the, uh, it was online in the United States. I was in Kenya, but I, have, uh, I had uh, online school. And uh, I started in grade three. So the, the time I was arrived here, arrived here uh, I, was, I wanted to push, uh, to push my education. So I had to talk with my Catholic social service, and my case manager. I told them, I told them please, I want to uh, follow my dream. I didn't have a chance to study in my country, so I had this opportunity. Let me use it. Mm-hmm. And they, they listened to me. So I am really grateful. Thank you, Isa, for with your team for listening someone's dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very important. So that was the first priority for you was continuing your education. Yeah, that's great. Yes, mm-hmm. and also they helped me. I think also this comes from the state. They helped me with uh, because I have my daughter. She's now five years old, and she goes to school. She's in a preschool headster. And uh, so the Catholic social service, I don't know how they connected all things, and uh, they helped me with uh, child care assistance. So because I don't have money to pay or anything, so they do, they play that role, so not me. So thank you again. And uh, also um, the big opportunity I had, because I had my mom, my first mom, she's not my bi- biological mom, but since the day I met her, I, st- I told her, you are my mom, because you have helped me in many things. I told her, if you, if you have, when you have milk and water, you mix them, you can't separate them immediately. So I told her, even if right now I don't have my mom in, the, in that time, but you are my mom. So it was really important and it was blessed and amazing. She helped me with everything. Driving also, she taught me how to drive, how to swim, how to hike. Uh, she gave me the car. So she played a big role also. And uh, I love her. I yeah. can tell. Yeah, yeah. that's clear. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's clear. It's also it was so important for both of you to have some sort of connection to begin with. Um, clearly, some people don't have that, but it makes yeah. makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And Divine, what was uh, your first priority when you arrived in Alaska? Was it work? Was it housing? Was it education? Like hope? My priority, my case seems to be a little bit particular. When I was forced to leave, I have a big family. I have a wife and six kids. So as a head of a family, it's when I arrived, I'm like, 
I found where I can rest, but I'm incomplete. What do I do? It starts from there. I met wonderful people at church. Mr. Mark Bolt, Molo Abeke, Betsy Bolt. These are the people who sat down and uh, they saw my situation. They decided that, hey, let's see how we can direct this man. I didn't know about Catholic social services, nothing. Fortunately, on that day at church, when that decision was made, um, we contacted the late congressman, Donio. He said, uh, I think, go to Catholic social services. They will kind of guide you on the pathway on how to do things. That is how I found myself to the Catholic social services. Words might not really um, define what they did, but God will answer that. God will pay them because uh, they have done a lot. I, I can't really spell them out, but it's too much. So um, I explained my situations. They gave me uh, advices, and I had to contact an attorney where uh, we followed the legal procedure. Thank God that happened in a very uh, fast pace, in the space of 12, before 12 months, my family was joining me. Mm. So um, the excitement and how everything moves really started when um, my kids were coming with my wife. I think even Issa was like, are you excited? I'm saying it's more than explanation. So <laughs> <laughs> when they arrived, I didn't, for myself, um, they have helped me, connect me to employment opportunities. I was working. Uh, I had gone through trainings, education, and things like that in that process. But now, um, when my family came, I, was, I didn't even think about it. It's when they arrived, I'm like, hey, they have to, these kids have to go to school. Where do I start? Cali Social Services, through um, Isa present here, he said, no, um, this is how it worked. We'll give you someone to follow their education, how to enroll them in school. How, where, I don't know anything here. Where am I going to start? I don't even know who to go. I don't know anything. No, don't worry. We'll give you somebody, we'll assign somebody, a case manager for you. He's going to, the person is going to take care of that. And this one will take care of this. this that's how things work out. They did a great job. Um, my wife went through her training. She's, uh, she's still doing it. She's going through her training as a nurse. Um, my daughters, my sons, they are all going to school. Um, my first daughter graduated from service high school. She's in UAA studying computer engineering. The second one is graduating, Fortune. She's graduating still from service this year. The third one is still in high school, Savia Jordan. She is uh, in 10th grade. The fourth is uh, my son, Divine Junior. He is in, uh, they call it Stream Academy. And I have two little ones, Chris and Shalom. They are in Abbott Loop Elementary School. All this happened so smoothly 
thanks to Catholic Social Services. The integration into the community, how they brought us into things like voluntary services, was so amazing because they made me to meet people. In my life, if I've met nice people, I think I've done through Catholic Social Services, I've met good people. Mm. Well, that's great to hear. And that you were able to focus on your family while other people were helping you figure out all those other little details. Well, we have a, a caller on the phone. Mary is calling from Anchorage. Hi, Mary. You're on Talk of Alaska. Do you have a question? I do. So, good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, where are these people that are coming in? Where are they being to put to? As in, like, is it just here in Anchorage, or is it out in the bush? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, good question. Right. I, it sounds like it varies a lot. Thanks for that question, Mary. Um, Issa was talking a little bit about that earlier, but there's kind of depends on where you have connections, right? Yeah. So any case that's a free case, meaning I don't have any family ties. So Hope and, and Divine both kind of knew somebody. But if if you have no case, you don't know anybody in Alaska, you will always be resettled to Anchorage. And the reason for that is it has to do with resources, economy. We work to ensure when we become a resettlement agency, you have to you have to show that there's public transportation accessibility, that there's an economy, that there's housing opportunities, that there's things for people to be able to access and be able to become self-sufficient. And so not every place in our state necessarily has those things, like an ESL program, right? And so people will always be resettled to Anchorage unless they have a family tie or connection in other parts of the state. Then the State Department says, okay, people must be placed where their families are. And what we know for a fact is people will always move where their families are, right? And so um, we, we see that to be true. And so when you look at other populations throughout the state, they're often being resettled to those areas because they know someone in those areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this could, um, I don't want to get too much into the politics, but we know that federal level policy impacts how and when people can arrive a lot. And we've seen um, that a little bit with just the difference in experiences for people coming from Afghanistan and people coming from Ukraine in terms of just like responsiveness. But um, what is sort of how does that, you know, impact your work, just being influenced by these decisions being made at a very lofty level? Right. Well, I would just say if you live in the United States, we're all impacted by federal policy every day in our everyday lives, right? And so that's no different in the refugee resettlement program. I mean, we are responsible to the decisions that the president makes in what's called the presidential determination, where he they determine how many refugees will be able to enter that year. That's made every year by the president. And then, of course, Congress is the funding arm of all the services of which we provide. So Congress also makes some decisions, right? Um, and then for Afghanistan and Ukraine, both of those were special bills that went through Congress and were passed through the Senate and the House to provide refugee services to those populations in a special circumstance. And so You know, what I have learned as the state refugee coordinator, I think other people have learned that do my job is have a plan and then have a backup plan and then have six other backup plans to the plan you have and know that the plan you have may totally change, right? And so we are flexible and um, the way we have been able to do that successfully, and I swear I didn't pay hope and divine to say anything nice about us, um, is by building partnerships. And so, like, I talked about the community, but I, I failed to mention your Providence Family Medicine Center that does refugee health screenings who said, yes, we did 15 refugee health screenings last year. We'll do 300 this year, right? Like, those partners make a difference. Anchorage School District, the Matsu Borough School District, all of those other entities in town that play a role in our state in providing services, the Division of Health right here in Alaska, right, that administers SNAP and other benefits, 
close partnership with them becomes really important. And so, you know, we really emphasize that in the work that we do. I emphasize that because if it's me alone trying to make these changes, we will be unsuccessful. It takes an entire community to do that successfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we definitely want to talk a little bit more about those partners coming up, but we need to take a quick break. Stay with us to hear more from Isis Patrasano, uh, Divine Nganga, and Hope Kasana about resources for refugees and other new arrivals to Alaska from, from Refugee Assistance and Immigration Services. If you have questions about connecting someone with these resources, feel free to call us. The statewide number is 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422. And you can email us, talkofalaska at alaskapublic.org. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Are you ready to start accelerating your child's future through education? The Alaska Native Science and Engineering Program is expanding its reach with new opportunities in Juneau and Southeast Alaska. With ANSEP's Acceleration Academy, high school students can earn college credit, save thousands of dollars in college costs, and experience fun, hands-on learning. ANSEP, it's a better way to learn. Learn more and enroll at ansep.net slash acceleration. This message sponsored by ANSEP. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. I'm Adeline Baxter, and I'm here today with uh, several people who are involved with Catholic Social Services, uh, Refugee Assistance, and Immigration Services. So we have Isis Patrasano, who is the director. We also have Divine Nganga, who is involved with their programming, and Hope Kasana. And uh, we are talking about resources for refugees and other new arrivals coming to Alaska and um, all of the opportunities that are available to them. So I wanted to quickly bring in, um, uh, you know, just talking about uh, Ukraine, since that's been in the headlines a lot these past few months. Um, we have had several hundred people arrive in Anchorage, thanks to a local group, the Ukraine Relief Program. They have been sponsoring, um, technically they are not refugees, but parolees through the United for Ukraine program. Um, so people can sign up to be a sponsor for these folks and then... The Ukraine Relief Program is buying them tickets and bringing them over here to Anchorage. I was actually at the um, airport uh, in May when some of the first people arrived, and I spoke to a young couple who made the nine-hour flight with their two-year-old son. Here's Maria Bershitska talking about their experience fleeing Ukraine and coming to Alaska. Uh, we came from uh, Bucha. It's uh, um, Kiev district. Uh, our uh, city was uh, destroyed uh, by war uh, and many people died uh, there and uh, all uh, infrastructure of Bucha uh, was uh, destroyed too uh, and um, uh, it was awful. Uh, we will stay here in this uh, program uh, during two years and we ho uh, hope that the peace in our uh, Ukraine will be and uh, we can back there we hope so 
The Ukraine Relief Program says they still need sponsors. They've brought about 200 Ukrainians over to Alaska this summer so far, and there are about 100 more waiting, awaiting confirmation and authorization to travel. So anyone interested in being a sponsor can visit ukrainereliefprogram.com. And Issa, is uh, Ray's working also with these folks once they arrive? Yeah, so... Um you know, a big shout out to New Chance Ukrainian Relief. You know, everybody does their part. And that's what I hope listeners here today, you know, CSS is not doing it alone. We've never done anything alone. And New Chance Ukrainian Relief is filling in a role of which CSS d- does not have the capacity to fill. And so, you know, the Ukrainian program was set up a very different than the refugee resettlement program, uh, the refugee resettlement program for Afghans and for regular refugees. We are the resettlement agency, meaning we resettle them. CSS is, is essentially responsible for picking them up for the airport, finding their housing and doing everything. But the Ukrainian program was not set up that way by the administration. The administration set this program up as a sponsor program. So there is actually sponsors, individuals in the community who are fiscally sponsoring individuals and responsible then for their resettlement. However, Congress passed a bill that says that once you are here, you are eligible for refugee services, which means the services that CSS provides, the things like case management, school enrollment, the things that Hope and Divine have talked about that CSS does. So while we are not bringing people here and resettling them and and meeting them at the airport, it's usually a couple days after you've gotten here, you've ended up in our office, and you're starting the other side of the process, which is for us to provide you those long-term services during your time here in Alaska. And so, you know, we are working closely with New Chance Ukrainian Relief because Again, we want to make sure that that's a seamless transition, that when people are here, I don't want people to have to go through what Divine went through, where it's like, who is the service provider? How do I find them? I'm glad he ended up finding us in the long run. But we want our Ukrainian neighbors who are arriving to know who we are and for the people who are greeting them at the airport to be able to say, this is where your next stop is to help you with a successful, you know, acculturation as you walk through the process. Mm -hmm. Earlier, you talked about the many different designations of arrivals, refugee, asylee. Um, there are victims of human trafficking who are able to um, apply for permanent status. What about those folks who don't uh, fit any of those categories? What is available to them? It sounds like there's not a lot. Yeah. So unfortunately, if you don't meet one of the designations that is, uh, say, eligible for refugee benefits or what we call ORR eligible populations, you know, there are a lot of people who fall through the cracks who may also need resources but came through to the United States in a varied sort of ways. Maybe you're here on a worker visa, for example. Maybe you're here on a student visa. Maybe you were you won the, the, the diversity diversity lottery um, for to be able to come. Maybe you have a pending asylum case. So before you receive asylum, your case is pending, right? All of those designations are not uh, individuals we are able to serve in our program. And so unfortunately, because of that, you know, there are some gaps and we see some gaps in service provision. And, and many of those designations aren't eligible for services that we tend to think of safety net services. And so um, unfortunately, we don't have any specialized programs here in the state of Alaska that serve those populations. There are a lot of people doing really good work, like Alaska Literacy Program, um, who are offering ESL classes to those kinds of populations. But um, there's not an, there's not a system like ours, right, where you're going to get robust case management, employment services, and other things. So that is a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about some of those services that are available for people. Uh, Divine, what was... What services did you take advantage of? Did you, uh, like Hope, uh, explore your education, or was it work placement? What did what help was helpful for you? There was education and uh, employment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those okay. were the principal ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And Hope, what about you? Uh, for me, my program is online. So is a, I'm working for high school diploma is in Minnesota. Um, anyway, uh, thank you for asking about uh, education because I'm about to finish high school and uh, I want to go to college. So I have a kind of message I want to give my governor. Uh, let me uh, allow me to give him this message, please. Um, I'm a, um, as a, my name is still Hope Gasana, Hope Gasana. So I have here a message for my governor. I'm about to finish high school and I want to enter college. I'm requesting my governor Mike Dan leave. Please hear my voice. It's not only me, but many Alaskan students need help from you. Please make courage free for Alaskan people. Because not everyone has money, has enough money to continue on to courage. We have single parents like me and refugees who want to follow their dreams. Since COVID hit the country, some families lost a lot and they are not stable. There are many problems. Gas is very high, food is high, and the rent is high. It's not easy to access everything they need. So, uh, please, I'm requesting my governor to listen to this message, to make college free for Alaskan, because we have refugees, we are working so hard. And not, me, not refugees only, also the Alaskan people, students. It's really hard. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. So that's my message. Yeah. I hope he's going to hear my message. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. he, yeah, well, we, he certainly tunes in from time to time. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that, Hope. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's a really good point. We have talked a lot lately about the rising gas prices and food's more expensive. But, of course, that's also impacting people who want to further their education, too. They're having to make hard choices about putting food on the table or being able to pay tuition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's absolutely, and it's, and like you said, it's not just for refugees, it's for everyone. It's, it, yeah, it's for everyone. And it's, be, it's been very hard for me too on my side because I don't, I don't work, just I'm focusing on my school and I get small money from the uh, state. But the money I get is not enough. I have to pay rent. The money I get, I have to pay uh, gas and the gas takes a lot. So I have to drop my uh, my daughter at school. We need that is to go hiking. You have to drive. You need to go to shop. You need to go use that gas. So I I would say that we need more help. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would just you know I I think what Hope is really talking about is like when refugees arrive. You know, I think we call him like really people arrive with very high expectations of what life is going to be like here. Right. Like yeah. you come out of a war torn country. We heard the Ukrainians talk about like their entire country is gone for refugees. It's often the same. I've left behind everything I know, all the resources I had. My homeland is destroyed. I have no opportunity to return back home. You come to the United States, whether it's Alaska or anywhere else, your hopes are very, very, very high. And it doesn't mean life is necessarily easy here. Also, yeah. and in and, and the systems of which we provide support for people are not um, comfy, cozy, and long-term, right? Assistance is often intended to be temporary. 
And, um, you know, in the long run, you know, my friend Divine here has six kids and a wife. You know, it is very hard to raise a family on an education that's just a high school diploma. And this idea and this hope to go to college, pursue a degree, requires, yeah, income and money. And and here in the state of Alaska, you don't even get in-state tuition for a period of time, which can delay your ability to even go to the university and, and, you know, right away. And so... You know, any, you know, it's the things that we're all wanting as Alaskans, right? Opportunities for our family to excel, safety, security, ability to, like, pay our basic needs. All of those things impact refugee communities just like they impact our neighbors, right? Just like they impact my own family. And I think that, um, you know, when we talk about, like, what is refugee, what do refugees need most when they arrive? I think a lot of times we get really stuck on those first 30 days, 90 days, a lot of people I talk to are like, oh, but the snow, the snow, the snow. And I'm like, the snow? No one cares about the snow. They want to know where my kids are going to go to school. No one cares about the snow. They do a little bit. But really what they're asking is like, what are my opportunities here for advancement? And how do I make sure that my kid, like Divine's daughter, can go to UA and get a computer engineering degree? Right? And I know Divine well enough to know that the day his daughter graduates with a computer engineering degree, Divine will know this was the right choice. This country was the right place, right? There's hope for his next generation. And so I think, you know, as we look at policy, we need to remember in the policy making to include refugees, include those populations so that when we're creating programs, they too have opportunities. They are residents of the state and stay long term. They Mm -hmm. contribute to our taxes. They contribute to the state infrastructure. And so I, I think, you know, hope is really making a specific thing. But it's really, I think it applies across the board. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And with eligibility for scholarships and financial aid, that's all I'm sure like your status is completely entwined in that and makes it harder. Well, Divine, could you talk about that a little bit more? Uh, what were sort of the the things that you didn't expect to be such a challenge or a challenge when you arrived here that turned out to be things you had to overcome? If you have traveled the world, you try to understand what I'm tra- I want to tell you. When you hear, when you're in my country, you hear United States of America. It's like <laughs> you're in heaven. They think you're in heaven. Like Isa said, it's not like what we think or what we're thinking about. When my family arrived, we settled. There was that peace now. Okay, how do we move forward? We had ambitions. So how can we implement those things here? It's not easy. I had three jobs. That is go out there and look for money. Mm -hmm. The main job is even to run that family, focus on them, look at who has done his or assignment, who is on the page, who is not watching only TV, who is... When you want to put all this together with the way the system works, hmm, I think it's not easy. You receive, when they go and pull out the mails, about 65 or 70% of what you see is GCI, uh, house rents, uh, all those bills, oh my God. And you measure it with the paychecks, hmm, it's not really easy. So, but with all that, we, all the assistance we receive from 
the government and everything where we put it, we just have to keep pushing. Pushing, pushing. Hard work. It entails a lot of hard work. Hard work until you don't have to turn back. Those are the challenges that maybe before we could not imagine that people would think you just come, everything is just like that. It's not like that. You need to put in a lot. Imagine if you are going to school and working. That's an experience that I don't really wish people should go through. If there was a way that you can just go through your school and then after school you start work, that would be better. Mm-hmm. But mixing the two because you want to meet up life challenges, honestly, it's not something easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like Hope knows about that too. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, you mentioned earlier, Issa, all of the community partners um, and how you know the services that you offer, you wouldn't be able to do nearly as much without all of those. So what are some of the things that listeners, people in the community um, can contribute? Um, I'm sure there's financial donations that can help, but are there volunteer opportunities too? Yeah, of course. We have a pretty robust volunteer program. Um, You can always go to cssalaska.org, and there's an application to volunteer right on the website. You know, we match volunteers with what we call family mentors, so they get matched to a new refugee arrival, a new family, and you get to do the really fun things my office doesn't get to do. You get to take them hiking. Maybe you get to teach them how to fish, right? Like those life experiences that, like, you know, the case managers don't get to do those things, and so it's our community members that often do that. We also have youth mentors, so individuals, we have a special program for youth ages 15 to 24 where you can get matched with a mentor to um, be connected to them. That's another great way to to be involved. Um, you can always donate. I will never say no to financial dollars. Nobody would if they're a director of a program. That would be very, you know, opposite of our work. But, you know, we use those dollars to fill in the gaps where federal government doesn't cover. And there's a lot of things that people need that aren't covered by the grants. For example, if you don't yet have your Medicaid, but you need a prescription from a doctor and you don't have the funds to buy it, often we're using donor dollars to purchase those kinds of meds for families or other things. Eyeglasses not covered by Medicaid. Of course, people need eyeglasses. What can they do without them, right? And so the program's often covering them. The other thing I would say is Grow North Farm, which is if you're located in Anchorage, it's the largest urban farm in Anchorage. It's in Mountain View. Go there and buy your produce. Buy it from refugee farmers, right? And um, the last thing I'll say, um, actually Hope and Divine's wife both participated in this project. We made a cookbook um, called um, Burberry and Beets, Recipes from Alaska's Refugee Community. You can order it on our website. We'll ship it statewide. And it's really, it's recipes from Alaskan, um, from refugees, but it's also really what happens to your food when you end up in a place where you don't have access to the f- the food you once had to, right? So a lot of the recipes are about like mohingo, which is a Burmese soup, which they make with catfish. But here you can make it with halibut or cod or other things. And so it's a really great, cool cookbook that's got stories and snippets about what it's like to be a refugee that comes here to Alaska. You can order that on our website and the proceeds, you know, benefit the refugee program. So that's another great way, like, you know, just to learn something new about refugee populations, we encourage people to check that out on our website. Yeah, absolutely. If if you don't know about Grow North Farm, people need to look into that because it's a really cool, I mean, who doesn't love fresh produce in general, especially in Alaska, where we can only get it for so much of the year. <laughs> well, we need to take another brief break. Uh, when we return, we'll hear more from Isis Patrasano, Divine Nganga, and Hope Kasana about resources for refugees, asylees, and other new arrivals to Alaska. The statewide number, if you want to call in and ask about those resources or share your experience, 
is 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, and you can email us, talkofalaska at alaskapublic.org. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Are you ready to start accelerating your child's future through education? The Alaska Native Science and Engineering Program is expanding its reach with new opportunities in Juneau and Southeast Alaska. With ANSEP's Acceleration Academy, high school students can earn college credit, save thousands of dollars in college costs, and experience fun, hands-on learning. ANSEP, it's a better way to learn. Learn more and enroll at ansep.net slash acceleration. This message sponsored by ANSEP. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. I'm Adeline Baxter, and I am here today talking about resources for refugees, asylees, and other new arrivals in the state with Isis Batrasano from uh, Refugee Assistance and Immigration Services. We also have Divine Nganga and Hope Kasana, who have both been recipients of those services um, upon arriving in Alaska in the last few years. So uh, we have a caller who I wanted to bring in. We have Marlene calling from Napakiak. I hope I got that right. Marlene, you're on Talk of Alaska. Did you have a uh, question or a comment you wanted to make? I got a comment. How in the world they let those Europeans go to Alaska? How? How did they do that? Okay. All right, Marlene. So you're talking about like the federal government? I don't, I do not know, and they cannot even help the Alaskans. Okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. All right, Marlene. So it sounds like you're talking about resources going to new arrivals, to refugees coming into Alaska, when there are a lot of people here with a need. And that's, you know, a valid question. So, Issa, do you have a response to Marlene? Yeah, I want to thank Marlene for calling in and asking that question. And I think, you know, it's a fair question, right? There's always a concern about resources. And, and you know, I, I think in the city, we're talking a lot about housing, for example. We're talking about food insecurity. And we're talking about how those things affect everybody. And so sometimes I get this call, I get asked, you know, like, how can you justify, you know, resettling refugees and providing services to them when there are people in this community right now who need those services? And, and I think that's a fair question. And, and I will say this. Uh, one, I encourage you to call your representatives because Catholic Social Services is not making the policy that allows people to come to the state of Alaska, right? Those those policies are being passed by Congress and the President of the United States, and we are fulfilling our obligation under that federal program to provide people safety and security and opportunity once they get here. What I would also say is this. Statistically, and these are public stats, and so if somebody's really interested and wants to dig deep, you certainly can. You know, we report to the federal government refugee self-sufficiency, how quickly people exit cash assistance, their, how much they're earning, their ability to return to work, their long-term, you know, um, way they contribute to the community in many ways. And so what we see over time is that while refugees do receive these benefits initially, statistically in the state of Alaska, our our rates are very, very high for people who exit cash assistance and other programs quickly. And so, for example, we have had 40 cash assistance cases this year out of the refugee program on refugee cash assistance. Of those 40 cases, 38 people closed their cash assistance early due to early employment and not no, no longer needing that cash assistance. They closed those cases. And what, what are they? They're, they're community members who are contributing to our community, who are actually helping in doing the things 
to serve all Alaskans who also need those resources. And so refugees are not just people who come here and take. That's certainly not true. In fact, they're people who come here and give and give and become citizens and contribute to the great United States by adding to our cultural diversity and fabric. And so an investment early on can give us very long payouts. And I, people are welcome to research this. There's a ton of research that's been done about the actual investment and contributions that refugees make financially to the United States. Actually, they contribute more in tax dollars than they are ever receiving assistance. Mm-hmm. And so over time, we do see their contributions to our state and to our country. Thanks, Issa. Well, we only have a few minutes left. I want to give everybody a chance to just sort of share any final thoughts. Uh, Divine, uh, I saw you gesture to yourself at one point when Issa was talking about it. It sounds like you're one of those folks who closed out their account um, early. Yeah, I did. Because um, the way that um, process works is they give you something um, to kind of set you up. You just came to somewhere you don't know. So mm-hmm. you need to figure out things. So this assistance comes in, and uh, I don't think it's enough for any reasonable person to think that you should depend on that if you have the ability to go far. We work and uh, we pay taxes, we do everything. By the time you look at it, like as I said, I had I had three jobs, but now I just have two. So if you look at my income and what my wife's been, we don't need that, and we had to close it, mm-hmm. which is what we have done. That's great. My myself and my family, we are a typical example of that. Absolutely, we don't have the cash benefits any longer. Mm-hmm. So we work, we pay our taxes, we do things the right way citizens are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. We contribute into the community, mm-hmm. just like what it has to be. Absolutely, yeah. And hope, thank you for being here, and uh, I wish you the best of luck with getting your education. Everything. Did you have any final, like five seconds of final yeah, thoughts? So my final, please, my governor make college free mm-hmm. <laughs> for Alaskan, and uh, I want to take this uh, final. Uh, thank you so much, Alaskan uh, community, for playing big role or in supporting refugee, Catholic social service, and raise. Thank you for working in tireless to help refugees in all the things they need, food, shelter, medical clothes, and many other things. And also this one goes to my um, amazing teacher who teaches me English so I can be able to talk on radio. Uh, Mary, thank you so much for helping me with English. My teachers who helping me with algebra, chemistry. I love my mom, (laughs) Rusha Ronkali, wherever you are. I love you and my brother and Ellen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hope Kasana. Thank you, Divine Nganga. Thank you, Issa Spatrasano. And thank you for listening. Uh, we also want to thank our audio engineer, Tobin, our producer, Wesley, and my, uh, thank you for listening today. There are more resources on cssalaska.org. Thanks. Talk of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media. Alaska Public Media.